uh, in light of what we just heard, this wonderful song, let's, um, let's take a look at what our scripture passage is today to see what Peter has to say about, about relationships, communication, marriage. He says, wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornments such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considered as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Since we began this series some weeks ago, we've been learning who we are. Peter's been teaching us. We've been learning, of course, that that we are chosen. We are chosen by the Father, that God sets his affection on us, calls us and draws us to himself. And for every person that responds, we are hope. We're the hope of Jesus Christ to this world because we have Jesus Christ living within us. And because God is our Father, because we're walking with Jesus, Peter says we are holy. We are holy. We are set apart by God for his purposes. And then we learned, of course, that we are family. We're the family of God called to bring others into his family. And then last week we learned that we are distinct. We are distinct by, of course, the way that we respond to those who wrongfully mistreat us. And so now today, we, we learn yet something else, that we are examples. That's what he's writing about here. We are examples. Our very marriages should serve as an example to this world. That's what he's saying. And so as we dive in, uh, let's pause for just a moment. Because we have people here who are single, married, all kinds of situations. Let's, let's pray. And let's pray that God would have his work in us today. Dear Father, I want to thank you for your word. And these words that Peter wrote, uh, Lord, that you sent our way. And, and, and some of these words and phrases, they're tough to deal with. Over time, some people have just uh, sought just to read other sections because they don't really want to, to dive into to what you say about these things. And so God, prepare our hearts to hear, to respond. Lord, I pray for every single person that's here today. Those who have never been married, they're looking forward to getting married perhaps one day. Lord, I pray that you would use these words that Peter wrote to just plant a seed that would grow and prepare them for that marriage that's off in the distance somewhere. For those who are single, who are divorced, Lord, I pray, God, I know that even now perhaps, they, as they saw those words up there, it, it caused them to think, caused them to remember. It just caused them to wish that somehow their marriage could have been like that. And Lord, in the midst of whatever pain they're experiencing right now, God, I pray, Lord, that you would touch them, heal them, prepare them. Because, Lord, you're going to show them an even better way as we dive into this today. And, Lord, for every marriage that's here, some marriages here might be going great, and they're just in a great season right now. Some might be a bit difficult. God, I pray right now that you'd prepare each partner, husband and wife, soften their hearts, put us in a place of humility to, to respond to what you have to say and then live these things out because, Lord, we know that if we do, 
We'll have marriages that last. And not just marriages that last, but marriages that experience joy. Joy and just enthusiasm and and just hope for tomorrow. And so, God, we thank you for what you're going to teach us now. We are your students. Work in us, we pray. In your name. Amen. So let's start over again. Peter writes these words. He said, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. So right off the bat, Peter's saying that if you're a wife, you are to submit to your husband. And we, we talked about submission last week. We talked about the fact that we are all supposed to submit. That's what we talked about last week. And we also talked about the fact that nobody likes to submit. We don't like that. Uh, we, it causes us to think, of course, there's, there's you know, rungs on a ladder or something, right? And, and perhaps we're not on top. And we don't like it when we're not on top. And so we hear that word submission and we pull it away. I mean, we're okay, of course, with somebody submitting to us. We certainly don't like it nearly as much when the shoe of submission is placed on our foot. And yet we're called to submit. And Peter says that we are called, the wives are called to submit, he says, in the same way. That's the key phrase. In the same way. So we have to ask, in the same way as what or the same way as whom? And Peter's saying, well, wives, you need to submit in the same way that I just taught you about we just learned about this last week that out of submission of course we honor everyone if you remember we talked about this last week that we honor everyone and that part of submission of course is imitating christ and we talked about that last week that to imitate christ literally means in that language to trace your life on his you take a look at christ as the model and you trace your life on his so many times that eventually you don't need to trace any longer you're naturally just living this out in your life So then for the wife, what he's saying is as you submit, what it means is that you're going to show proper respect to others. You're not going to retaliate when wrong is done to you. You're going to make no threats when your rights seem to be compromised. Basically, what it means is you're going to respond like Christ in the marriage. And we all know that's pretty hard to do because we're human. We're imperfect. That's the reality. And yet for every wife that takes up this call, they're going to serve as an example. That's exactly Peter's point. Listen to the words here of one woman who began to embrace this, struggle with it for a while, but embraced what godly biblical submission is all about. She writes this, a submissive wife, far from being the weak world woman our culture portrays, is actually a model of inner strength. By God's grace, she has conquered the sinful desire within her own heart. It is actually weakness on display when a wife is not submissive. She is only caving into a natural inclination to usurp authority and demand her own way. That doesn't take any effort at all. And so Peter says, unless there's a huge moral issue present, a wife is to submit. In fact, he tells us that wives should submit in this way so that if any of them, meaning their husbands, do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. And so here he's talking about the worst case scenario. He's pointing to the the idea that there could be a Christian woman married to a man who's not following Christ. That's kind of the worst case scenario. He's talking about husbands, of course, that place their wisdom above God's wisdom. Husbands that take a look at, you know, what the culture says a man should be and kind of lives that out because what, what he sees in culture on TV, in the movies, in the magazines. He's writing here about husbands, of course, who have bought what this culture is selling. But if you fast forward 2,000 years, think about us living in our world today. So many husbands that would call themselves Christian husbands have been so impacted by this culture as well. And so in a sense, he's writing 
to every husband. And Peter would ask this question to say, what will be the outcome for husbands who see their wives living as an example? Well, he says, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. They may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. And so, is he saying then that the wife is just to be quiet? That she's not to speak? Is that what he's talk, talking about here? Well, that's not what he's talking about at all. And this is important here, friends, for you to understand. What he's saying is this, that it means a wife should not speak by forcing her husband to hear the various lessons she wishes to implement in his life. There's a lot of good advice out there that a wife would like to give to her husband because there's a lot of different types of husbands out there. Take, for example, the distracted husband. You know, he's out there, he's, he, he's living in marriage and he's thinking about something else and his wife's trying to talk to him and while she's trying to share her heart and she's talking while he's thinking about something else, eventually she gets to the point where she wants to know what he thinks and she says, so, so what do you think about that? And suddenly here's a question, you know, think about what? What are we talking about again? And then she gets pretty upset, right? You live this out, time in, time out. In fact, studies show, and this is sad, but that in most marriages, the average husband only spends four minutes of meaningful time in conversation with his wife a day. Four minutes. And a wife usually has things she'd like to say to that kind of a husband. There's the distracted husband, then there's the hobby husband, right? He, he's focused. Well, she's trying to focus on him. He's focused on his car, his guitar, whatever it might be. And while she's sitting on the sidelines in her frustration, she'd kind of like to smash that hobby into little tiny pieces and serve it as seasoning for the evening meal. You know what I'm talking about here? This is the hobby husband. And a wife usually has things she'd like to say to that kind of a husband. That's what Peter's talking about here. And he's getting to the heart of the matter because in the heart, sometimes inside many women who are married, and they live with their husband, there's this attitude that they have that says, you know what, my husband needs to change. He needs to change. And here's how he needs to change. And so then as she begins to speak, here's the problem. She pushes her husband further and further and further away. The writer of Proverbs says, the wise woman builds her house. With her own hands, the foolish one tears hers down. And a wife that tears her house down, her marriage down, does so by strongly communicating to her husband how wrong he is, how lazy he is, how misdirected he is, how insensitive he is, how distracted he is, how unsupportive he is. And these kinds of words end up looking like the psalmist wrote. He said, they sharpen their tongues like swords and aim cruel words like deadly arrows. So then what's the solution to all this? Peter says, well, do it God's way. Do it God's way. And for the wife, instructive words won't work. Instructive words won't work. He's basically saying, wives, don't allow yourselves to fall prey to the destructive pattern that impacts so many different marriages. You know what I'm talking about. Nagging by the wife causes neglect from the husband, and neglect from the husband causes nagging by the wife. He's saying, if you're going to bring about needed change in your husband... Stop talking and start living as an example. I saw this as I was growing up. I told you before, but my father was disabled when I was 10. He lived his life racked in pain. I remember him just in a ball on the floor just trying to keep it together. That's how much pain he, he lived in. And when you live in that kind of pain, if you have a pain even for just a short season of time, you know what it does to you. You get pretty short-tempered. I mean, any little thing just bothers you. But think about this day in and day out. And my dad would be known just to level a person with his words. 
I mean, it was hard. And my mom had a lot of things she would like to say to him back then. But she didn't. Instead, over and over again as a kid, what I saw was my mom living beautifully before him. In a patient way, in a kind way. And over time, even though my dad's pain increased, his heart and his response to people softened. The last 10 years of his life, he died at 67. He, he was really a great guy to be around. Funny, engaging. See, these kinds of things happen, friends, only when a wife does what my mom did and lives as an example. In fact, wise results like this can be realized when your husbands are able to, Peter says, see the purity and reverence of your lives. So in everything they're looking at, what they see is the purity and reverence of your lives. So think about this. I want you to ask just every woman here. When you, when you stand in front of the mirror, you sit in front of the mirror, what is it that you see, if you're going to be honest? What do you see? Do you see an angry woman that keeps a scoreboard? Or do you see a reverent wife that models purity? Because Peter says your husband will both be attracted and changed by the latter, not the former. It's also why he writes, he says, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. We first learned that instructive words won't work, and now he's saying outward beauty won't work. You say, what do you mean outward beauty won't work? I mean, it works in our society. It's all that we're about. I mean, in all the ads that we see, it's all about beauty. And what he's saying is, you know what? Beauty might help attract a man, but it doesn't keep a man. Because if all you're really focused on is your looks and your appearance, you're going to lose out on focusing on the things that help your marriage to actually last. Say, you want a lasting marriage? You've got to look deeper. That's why he writes, rather, it should be that of your inner self. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. So instructive words won't work. Outward beauty won't work. But here's what he says. Inner beauty will work. Inner beauty will work. And what is inner beauty? Well, he's described in verse 4. Inner beauty is submissive. It's respectful, humble, non-threatening. Inner beauty is pure. In conduct and words and thought. Inner beauty is, is reverent. Listen to this attitude that says, I adore my, my husband because I revere my heavenly father who made him. Inner beauty is gentle. It's not pushy, blunt, or demanding. Inner beauty is quiet, calm, providing stability to the various seasons of life. Now, some would look at this and think, okay, well, that's a great idea for back then. I'm sure that was good advice 2,000 years ago, but that doesn't really work today. This whole idea of inner beauty it doesn't work today. And Peter expected that kind of pushback, which is why he focuses here. And he says, you know what? What worked for women, what worked for marriages through ages of time will keep working for ages to come. And he writes, for this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right, and do not give way to fear. So this fear thing can ruin your marriage, so don't give way to it. So what fear is he talking about? Well, don't give way to fear, fear of losing full control. A lot of times we're afraid of that, so we hold on. Don't give way to fear, of course, of uh, just your fear would keep you from really turning your life Holy over to God and submitting yourself to him. Fear that, of course, you're, you're not going to fit in with the other women around you that are married as well. They don't, be, they don't respond to their husbands in, in these ways. Fear you won't fit in. 
Peter says, you know what? Stop fearing all these things and merely live as an example and you will have a marriage that lasts. You will. So focus on inner beauty. It's submissive. It's pure. It's reverent. It's gentle. It's quiet. So for every woman here, no matter how young, old, I encourage you just to spend time with God alone and just say, God, Work in here. And may my inner beauty just grow and grow as I more humbly serve you in my life, as I trace my life on yours. So then Peter turns the page. And now he, fo- he focuses now on husbands. And so wives, you can kind of, all right. He looks at the man. He says, husbands, in the same way, be considerate. So for husbands, he's saying persistent consideration will work. He says that you are to you know, be considerate in the same way. Well, in the same way as what? In the same way as whom? And what he's saying is in the same way that I just talked about, that you are to honor everyone. You are to imitate Christ. And so persistent consideration includes such things as being respectful and humble, non-threatening, not pushy, not demanding, calm, providing stability through the various seasons of life. And he says that you are to be considerate in these kinds of ways as you live with your wives. As you live with your wives. That phrase is important. As you live really can mean a couple different things. First of all, it can mean this, to be intimate with your wife. We all know what that means. And so suddenly there's guys thinking, okay, I like this Peter guy. He makes a lot of sense. I like the Bible. Let's live an as-you-live lifestyle. I'm all about that, right? And then there's another meaning. And the King James Version says it this way, basically, that as you live, literally means live with her according to the knowledge. To live with her according to the knowledge, with the knowledge of what? Well, the knowledge of what God has to say regarding the totality of what a marriage relationship should look like. For example, Paul wrote, he says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. If you're a man, if you're a husband... Are you giving up your very life for your wife in order to make her pure, in order to make her holy? Are you expecting her to kind of give things up for you? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the waters of the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. You see, far too often the husband, of course, wants the wife to sacrifice many things for him so that he can be the one who benefits. He's got the plan. She's just supposed to support him. But why in the world would a wife be inclined to submit to that kind of heart? It's a selfish heart. It's why Peter and Paul are trying to get us to understand that the husband is to lay down his very life for his wife so that ultimately she is the one who benefits. And why would a wife not be inclined to submit to that kind of heart? Because it's a selfless heart. It's the kind of heart that embraces an as-you-live lifestyle, not a touch base with your lifestyle. And Peter writes, men, as you live in such ways with your wives, treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Think about that. He first says for the husband that persistent consideration will work. And now he's saying thoughtful chivalry will work as well. 
thoughtful chivalry. He's basically saying for the husband, you're to treat your wife fairly, politely, with a great amount of courtesy. And you're to do so on a regular basis because she is the weaker partner. There's a lot of women right now that are thinking, weaker partner? I don't like that. Weaker partner? Well, the first thing you got to think about is the fact that when he calls the wife the weaker partner, is also signaling the fact that the husband is also weak or human. What does he mean by weaker partner? When I first asked Carol to marry me, um, some, boy, 23, over 23 years ago, and uh, she said yes, and so we were excited. We were driving up to Traverse City, Michigan, to announce that uh, to her whole family at her mom's birthday party. All the family was gathering there. And I only met some of the family up to that point. And one family member I had never seen, I didn't know what he looked like, but I heard about him. It was his, her Uncle Art. This was a guy who just kind of looked at life differently, would say things kind of off the wall. I mean, Uncle Art was just kind of a special kind of out there kind of a guy. That's what I was told. And so now we go to this party, and at this party, it's announced that we're going to get married, and suddenly everybody's clapping and hooting and hollering. But as soon as all that died down, this guy walks up to me, and he says, I'm Carol's Uncle Art. And I thought, oh, it's this guy. And he says, I have one word of advice for you when you get married. I says, oh, what's that? Just go to bed. I said, excuse me? He says, you're going to get married to Carol. It's going to be 11 o'clock at night. And she's going to be working on something. And you're going to think, you know, I'm the man. I can keep up with that. I'll just wait a little bit while longer. And, and then it's going to be midnight. She's going to be working on some other project, doing something else. You're going to think, you're, you know, I'm the man. I can keep up with that. And then, then it's going to be 1 o'clock in the morning. And she's still going to be working on stuff. And you're going to be thinking, I'm the man. I can keep up with her. And he says, don't do that to yourself. Just go to bed. And he turned around and walked away. And that was the best advice I have ever gotten from anyone in marriage. Because all I've been doing for the past 23 years is just going to bed. The reality is I can't even keep up with my wife. So how is it that she's the weaker partner? What's Peter talking about here? Well, all he's really saying is that in most situations, of course, the physical body of the man is stronger than the physical body of the woman. And so when it comes to working around the home and doing just basic work, as a husband, you need to step in when it's appropriate. Kind of step up because your body, in most occasions, is stronger than hers. And when you do that, you display chivalry. That's what he's talking about. We're to treat our wives, he says, like treasures. He says, because they are heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. They are heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. So he's taught us that persistent consideration will work. Thoughtful chivalry will work. And now he's saying ongoing companionship will work. Ongoing companionship. Since we are heirs of the grace of life. What's that talking about? He's talking about the fact that every single one of us has the opportunity every single day to experience and enjoy everything that God has for us. And so what he's saying is, do this in your marriage. Ongoing companionship. Enjoy everything available to you together. For Carol and I, it means we downhill ski together. We take walks together. Up by five times a week, we take a long walk. We ride bikes together when they're not in the repair shop because we drove them into something. You know what I'm talking about? You know, we, we go out to eat together. My favorite little spot for breakfast, the Corner Coffee Cafe. You know, and we go to a little shop afterwards and kind of take a look around. Just bought a mirror there the other day. We watch movies together, take trips together. 
And as we enjoy all these things together and experience the gracious gift of life, we experience other things as well, like love, children, working out our salvation, health and strength, experiencing good food and vacations and being part of the family of God here, enjoying nature, woods and trails and water and mountains. He's saying, as husbands and wives, we are to enjoy every facet of life together. Because together we are heirs of the gracious gift of life. And you think, well, that's great. But here's what it leads to. And here's what we miss out many times on our marriages. Because guys, many times we're not leading appropriately. When you actually spend time with each other like that, you begin to talk. It opens up doorways of conversation. You begin to learn more about her and what's going on in her life. You share more about yourself with her. And suddenly you know more about each other. And you're going to naturally learn more about each other. And the outcome of that is that you're naturally going to bring your concerns before God together. How could you pray for your wife when you don't even know really what's going on? How can you pray together when you don't even have time to let those things rise to the surface? And this is why Peter writes that when husbands embrace consideration, chivalry, and companionship, the natural outcome will be, he says, that nothing will hinder your prayers. Nothing will hinder your prayers. And because you're praying together, what he says is that your marriage will be an example. It'll be an example. We think, well, wait a second. I mean, if we're praying together, and you're not mealtimes, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like praying together about your stuff. Praying together about what's going well. You're praying together as husband and wife. He's saying, you're going to be an example. You'll think, well, how is that possible? Because most of the time we're going to pray in our home. Nobody's going to see me there. I mean, how is that going to turn out to be an example? You see, Peter knew something that, you know, 2,000 years ago, that studies just over the past couple decades have revealed. As see, studies show, and you've heard this before, that roughly half of all marriages fail. Half. But studies show something else. And if you're young, if you're looking to get married someday, pay attention because this is huge. While these studies disagree with each other, the results are still astounding. One study shows that for marriages, husbands and wives who pray together, not about their meals, but I'm talking about pray together about their things they're going through, even their joys, their pains, they pray together. The success rate of marriage is around 90%. One study shows that only 1 in 10,000 marriages fail when you pray together. 1 in 10,000. One study has it even, even higher than that, or lower, depending on how you're looking at that. The, the odds being so incredibly low that your marriage is going to fail if you just pray together. Because when you pray together, it's like glue in your marriage. Glue. The big idea is what he's trying to get us to understand that couples that pray together, stay together. It's really that simple. Couples that pray together, stay together. And couples that stay together in our culture and in our world, well, those relationships serve as examples. Because it's rare and getting rarer in our society. So men, he's talking about you leading. And in light of that, I have one charge for every couple that's here today. Every couple that's here today. And it's a charge for the couple, but I'm specifically focusing on the men. Because what Peter focused on the latter part here is about your leadership. What it looks like for you to lead in the home. And so every day, here's the charge. Every day this week, and it can only be a minute long, two minutes long. It doesn't need to be a whole book long of prayers. But I want you to get with your wife and allow some time. It's not a hurry thing. Let's pray right now so we can get this over with. But no, no, no. 
have some time of conversation together, walk together, do some things together, and then pray together. Lead that prayer. And pray for what's on her heart, pray for what's on your heart, but together. And at times throughout the week, maybe you would just pray a prayer of blessing over her. That God would bless her day and bless what she's doing and bless her as a mom, bless her at work. But that you would pray together as a couple every single day this week. That's the charge. Because I want to get you on a pattern here that will lead to ultimate success. That's exactly what Peter is talking about. That nothing would hinder your prayers because you're living life in this way, enjoying life with each other. And as a result, nothing's going to hinder your prayers because... All these things are rising to the surface. They're not hidden any longer. And you'll be able to pray about them. And prayer in the marriage is like glue. Couples that pray together stay together. That's the charge. And so before we leave here, I just want to pray again for you. And then I have a few comments and then we'll head on out. Dear Father, I thank you for every couple that's here. And Lord, I pray that your word right now will cause a change. A change in the way that they think. A change in the way that they respond to each other. A change in the way they respond to you. And Lord, I pray for each husband here today that you would give them the courage and the strength to lead in these ways that Peter talked about. And Lord, specifically that you would give each husband not just the opportunity, but the strength and the courage to lead prayer time with his wife this week, every single day. And that you also do a work in the heart of each wife that you would put her in a position where she'd be willing to respond to that. Just to humble herself and just, just join in together. Lord, you've had words for the wife today, the husband today. But Lord, nothing's really going to happen if our hearts are hardened. If we're filled with pride, so change us, God. Humble each one of us. Lord, seeds have been planted now, and I pray, Lord, that those seeds would grow. And that as a result of what Peter has taught us today, that every marriage, every marriage here would serve as an example to Montgomery, Mason, Loveland, Blue Ash, all over. That people would look at our marriages and say, what in the world's going on? We could point right back to your word, your instruction for us today. Lord, I pray for each couple, God. I pray that you'd give them courage to step into this. And God, that you would so bless them as they do. That as wives submit and as men just love their husbands and sacrifice their very lives for them. And as they spend time together, that nothing would hinder their prayers. And as a result, their marriage would not only last, but it'd be beautiful. Beautiful just so so much filled with enjoyment and life and hope and strength. We pray these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Another thing for you husbands today is we've given you a date opportunity. It's tonight at 6.30. Ongoing companionship will work, so bring your wife with you tonight. Enjoy our time together tonight at 6.30. And then for everyone here, and I think there's a couple uh, left, I just want to invite you. If you've been here for a while, and uh, I'd love to get a chance to know you. And so there's a couple opportunities for that. One is I'm going to go to the Pastor's Connection You're right out here in the lobby. But another is I just want to invite you over to have lunch today.
one o'clock. And so at the Welcome Center, right there in the back, there's some invitations there. It gives you our address and where we are. And we've got lunch prepared. I want to encourage you to pick up one of those invitations and come on over at one o'clock and hang out for a little while. Let's eat together. Normally we have between 20 and 40 people at our house sometimes after these when I make these invitations. I encourage you to come. Just hang out, even if you're just there for half an hour or whatever. Come, be part, and uh, we get to know each other and hang with each other because we're called to be a family, right? And a family can't be a family if you're not eating together and spending time together, and I want to make sure we're all having the opportunity to do that. And then if you have prayer concerns, come up front, would you? There'll be people to pray with you afterwards. But remember, remember this. Remember who you are. Remember who you are as you go out those doors in just a moment. Remember who you are, that, that we are chosen, that we are hope, that we are holy, we're holy, and that we're, we're set apart by God. We are family. We are distinct by the way that we respond to those who wrongfully treat, mistreat us, and they'll probably have that happen to you this week. And as you go out these doors today, remember that we are examples. We are examples of Jesus Christ, what love looks like, what selflessness looks like to this world. So let's not take our call lightly. Let's go out these doors and live it out because friends, brothers, sisters, we are examples. Let's live it out right now. We've been given the opportunity. Let's do it in his name. See you next weekend.